Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 1. The writer is telling us in the first part of this chapter that we're about to read from, he's telling us about the law of sowing and reaping. Ecclesiastes 11.1, 1, cast thy bread, everybody say that bread, upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Verse 4, he that observeth the wind shall not sow, and he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. In other words, he cautions us that if you wait for all the conditions to be right before you express faith, then you will never sow your faith. And when you don't sow faith, you will not get results. But he moves on to verse 6 and he says, here's what you do. In the morning, sow your seed. And in the evening, withhold not thine hand. For thou knowest not whether shall prosper either this or that or whether they both shall be alike good. In other words, he's saying, in the morning when you get up, sow faith. In the evening before you go to bed, sow faith. I feel like telling somebody that today, that you may be faced with an impossible situation, but in the morning, his mercies are made new every morning, and you need to sow faith and believe the Lord is going to come through. And as the darkness closes in in the evening time, you go home and you sow faith, because God responds to faith. And you have everything, and we have everything we need this morning for miraculous provision because we have faith. And all we need to do is sow and express it. For the next few moments, I want to preach to you on a subject entitled, How to Farm a Flood. How to have faith in spite of impossibilities. I wonder one more time if you could just lay your Bibles down, your devices down, and lift your hands to heaven. You've responded so well in this service one more time pray with me and let's bind together in unity to hear from the word of the Lord this morning Lord we thank you so much for this wonderful congregation thank you for the worship team that led us with excellence and anointing now God we come to that place where we're going to hear from your word I pray that you would open up our ears open up our eyes open up the follow ground God do a work anoint your messenger move upon your people one more time and everybody said in Jesus name I wonder if before you're seated, you clap your hands to the Lord one more time. Come on, clap your hands, all your people. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. It was on May 31st, 1889, that the South Fork Dam in Pennsylvania collapsed and caused what is known as the infamous Johnstown Flood. You see, earlier in 1840, this dam had been built on the little Conemaugh River, just 14 miles upstream of the town of Johnstown. And in its day, this dam was the largest of its kind. For years, the citizens of Johnstown had gone about their sleepy little lives, unaware of the dangers that were brewing just a few miles upstream. But it was on May 31st that the dam was breached and all the water that had been held at bay came sweeping down at over 40 miles an hour. They tell me that over 2,200 people lost their lives during this flood. It took this town over five years to rebuild. And it's simply because of the fact that floods are powerful. Everybody say floods. Floods, floods have the ability to reroute rivers 
and rewrite our lives. As a matter of fact, 90% of all natural disasters in the United States right now involves flooding. And annually, they tell me that floods cause over $40 billion worth of damage worldwide. And over 100 people will lose their lives due to floods. And just this week, your state of Georgia experienced flooding from the hurricane known as Fred. Because a flood can easily overwhelm anything in its path, and it's a force to be reckoned with. And it is in Psalms when the writer begins to describe his dilemma and the perplexities of life that he begins to describe it in terms that involve being flooded and being overwhelmed. On at least three different occasions, the psalmist, when he expresses the battles and the hardships in life, he chooses language and words that talk about being overwhelmed by waters and overwhelmed by floods. And then you find in Isaiah, when the prophet begins to describe the actions and the movement of the enemy. It's no mistake. Hear me this morning. It's no mistake that he chose to liken the devil's tactics to a flood that would come in and try to overwhelm the people of God. Isaiah 59, 19, when the enemy shall come in like a flood. Now that's because the enemy is always seeking to overrun and overwhelm those who are trying to advance in their walks with God and they're trying to accomplish something in the kingdom of God. If you know that to be true, why don't you just wave your hand at me that anytime you try to progress in God, the enemy shows up and he tries to overwhelm what you're trying to do for God. And yes, it is true that while the enemy can and he does come in our life like a flood, we cannot choose or cannot afford to make the mistake to overlook the fact this morning that the same context of the flood of the enemy is the very same context Context that the writer said that the Spirit of the Lord would move in and begin to do his mighty work. That yes, the enemy will come in like a flood. But let's read the rest of that verse this morning. That the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. In other words, no matter how hard, no matter how difficult, no matter how strong the attack of the enemy is in our world and on our families this morning. Hear me today. The spirit of the Lord is always up to the challenge. So take heart this morning. If you're facing difficulty, if you're facing a flood, if you're facing the impossibility, you are standing in the right context to see God demonstrate his might, his power, and his ability. Because a challenge is... And has always been the right atmosphere for the Lord to perform a miracle. You and I are living through what some would call a flooded time. You guys notice how much the world has changed in the last two years? Less than two years? It's incredible. It's incredible to think about the things that we're dealing with now. Not just as a nation, but now internationally. And we're facing... The looming clouds of impossibility and uncertainty has swept over the world that you and I once knew and everything that's familiar is no longer familiar. I don't know about you, but because of this, at times it can cause me to pause and have my faith challenged, Brother Johns, because it's in these moments of perplexities and complexities that we're dealing with that I can be tempted to live my life devoid of faith. 
It's easier to live safe, isn't it? Amen? It's easier to live safe than it is to live a life of faith. And so the world we live in right now can cause us to want to hold back, to withdraw from what maybe God is calling us to do. Maybe God has called you into the ministry, but because you're not sure about the future of things, that you just decided, well, I'm going to take a break from ministry. Or maybe God is calling you to give more or do more in the church, but because things are just kind of upside down, it's easier to live safe and it's easier to withdraw from what maybe the Lord is calling you to do. But I've come to remind us this morning of something that we already know, that God is still God. And he has not changed. He is still the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And I've come to tell you that God is still prepared to show himself strong on your behalf. God is still involved in your uncertain situation. And God is still willing to work with you when you express your faith. Somebody say faith. faith. I just want to tell you to take heart because your impossibility can easily become a possibility in the hands of God. You got to remember, it's when we're standing in a den of lions and when we're trying to face down a giant who is taller than I am. I work around Brother DJ Hill. He is a giant. Amen. Somebody say amen to that. I know Brother Ethan Miller from your church. He is a giant. And I feel inferior all the time. I face a giant every day I go into the office at youth ministries. But can I tell you in the spiritual realm, when we're facing giants and when we've got a multitude to feed with only two fish and five loaves of bread, when we're down to our last dollar, when we're down to our last prayer, that is when God is getting ready to show himself strong. You see, we can't, as they said before, you can't have a testimony without first experiencing the test. And yes, it's when your car is almost out of fuel and when you're down to your last bit of groceries and when everybody and everything has given up on your situation, when all you have left is faith. If you will still sow that faith, God will meet you in your situation and God will show himself strong and God will show himself faithful because all things are still possible with God. Jesus is talking to his disciples. They're grappling with the enigmas of life. I've got questions. Anybody ever had questions before? Like, why does Chick-fil-A always say, my pleasure? That's the kind of questions I've got. And then, and then why does every time I wash my car afterwards, it... You know, if I was walking with the Lord, I would be asking deep questions like that. Lord, why is Chick-fil-A so good? And have it for me. I figure somebody would run the aisles on that one. I mean, we're, in, we're in Georgia, sweet teas, south, amen. But they're grappling, Brother Joel, with the enigmas of life and the puzzles of life. And so Jesus turns to them. It says in Matthew 19, 26, that Jesus beheld them. He observed them. See, sometimes, because, just because we have questions and we're puzzled by life, it doesn't mean God doesn't see us. But sometimes He's just standing there. And he's beholding the situation to see what you will do. Sometimes he just wants to see what will they do in the middle of a flood? What will they do in the middle of an impossibility? And so Jesus walks up while they're grappling with all of these questions. And he reminds them. He says, with men this is impossible. 
He said, it's impossible as long as you try to work with men and as long as you try to work within your means and as long as you try to figure out with your carnal mind and as long as you and I try to rely on our flesh, he said, it's always going to be impossible. But notice what he said, but with God. In other words, when you join with God, when you take your faith out of man and what he can do for you and you begin to put that into the power and the ability of God, he said, with God. God. When you join and link with God, all things are possible. I've just come to remind us that with God, all things are possible. If you're standing in a realm where it seems like there's no hope, like everything is impossible, I encourage you this morning to transition and go over and link with God. Because if you will link with God, if you will connect your faith with God, you can see a miracle. I wish I had about 15 people. I didn't believe that with me right now. If you link with God, you can see a miracle. You can see the supernatural unfold. But you've got to let go of the hand of man. You've got to let go of the hand of the carnal thinking and say, God, I'm linking with you. If I'm ever preaching to the choir, it's this morning. 25 years of sacrificial giving to move the mission. In this church. A church with deep legacy in our movement. You know what the Lord can do. There's some elders in this house right now. If we pass this microphone around, we would just lose the service because they would start revealing to us the testimonies. That they've seen the goodness. Of, I see a sister shaking her head right now. You've seen the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You've seen God come through time and time again. And it's those stories that the elders tell us that inspire my hope for the future. That no matter how dark it gets, no matter how crowded the room gets, no matter how flooded over my field may be, if I hold on to God, He is always going to come through. See, it's not... If you never walk through the valley, you never get to see the perspective of the mountain. That's why the valley's there. He could, brother, take us from mountaintop to mountaintop to mountaintop. But no, the valley is the transitional phase. And it doesn't make sense. And yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. His words keep us. And His rod and staff, that they're with us. And His goodness and mercy is following us. But sometimes God puts us on the path of the valley. Why? So we can look up and see the perspective of the mountain. So when you finally get out of that valley of the shadow of death, and you stand on top of that mountain, you can just look in that valley and say, I know where the Lord brought me through. I know where the Lord brought me from. I know what he can do. I know how high this mountain is now because I experienced the lowness of the valley. I experienced the impossible, but I met a God who makes all things possible through his power and through his word. Somebody clap your hands to the Lord this morning. If you believe that, he is able. Going back to Ecclesiastes, the book where we derived our text from this morning. It's a very interesting and a very complex book. As a matter of fact, it's kind of astonishing to think that the culmination and the summary of the entire book can be found in the last two verses of the book. Scholars go back and forth on who authored it. But in any case, the verse that we read a moment ago together is probably familiar to most where the writer said, cast 
your bread upon the waters, for you'll find it after many days. Somebody say, I'll find it. There are a lot of different explanations and opinions of what this means. Some say that this has to, be, has to do with being generous and giving and showing benevolence. It has to do with evangelism and outreach. A few years ago, though, I was reading and studying this verse, and I began to read a pattern in scholarship that said that this verse could actually be a reference to a method that farmers of the day would use when their fields were flooded over with water. Cast your bread upon the water. Some scholars believe that this is a practice, an ancient practice that is still practiced in some parts of the world to grow rice and grain where farmers would go out during the flood season when the Nile would overflow its bank and they would go out in the middle of their field that they had prepared carefully and prayed over and, and, and got ready for the harvest, but then the flood came in. And they were looking at a flooded over field, but they would go out in the middle of this flooded over field and they would prepare for a harvest. They would prepare for a harvest when it didn't make sense. They had to learn how to farm a flood. Everybody say farm a flood. They had to learn how to pivot and how to change their approach and their tactics. Because you see, if the farmer waited until all the conditions were perfect, if he waited until the flood waters went down before he went out and sowed his seed there on the ground, when harvest time came, he would have an empty field. But if he would go out and he would begin to farm that flood and he would begin to work in the middle of that flood, when all of that was over, he would have a harvest. But, but it doesn't make sense, does it? Can you see it in your mind? A farmer going out and one scholar said that sometimes they would use boats and they would go out and they would paddle out to the middle of their field that's flooded over with water. And he would take his harvest seed, his bag of harvest seed, and he'd dig his hand down grab a handful of seed, stand on the edge of that boat and throw harvest seed on top of the flooded overfield. That doesn't make much sense, does it? Why, why are you doing that? Why, why are you wasting good seed? It, it, m- most of his farmer buddies were probably still sitting on the front porch drinking sweet tea and looking at him and saying, he's crazy. Why, why isn't he waiting until the flood waters recede before he scatters his seed? Don't you know that the field is hopeless? Don't you know that it's crazy? to sow seed in the middle of a pandemic? Don't you know that it's crazy to be faithful to God and the things of God when the world is upside down? And while you may question the farmer's sanity, in the same breath, you'd have to admire his expression of faith. A farmer in a flooded over field makes no sense. But that's the beauty of faith, isn't it? It doesn't have to make sense to everybody else. You just got to hear a word from the Lord and you've got to express your faith before the Lord. Faith enables us to see in the spirit what the carnal mind will never, ever, ever see. That's why some people miss movings of God and they miss opportunities because they're looking at God and the way he operates. They're looking at him in the same, with the same lens that they look at the world. Can I just remind us that God operates totally opposite and different as the world. Sometimes you've got to put on the lens of faith. You've got to be able to see through the eyes of faith. And that's what Hebrews 11 1 tells us. He says the job description of faith, it is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. In other words, faith is what you scatter and faith is what you express and faith is what you hold on to and release to God when the time is right. If you want to see your hopes, 
your dreams and your prayers become a reality. But the thing about faith is it must be expressed. It was up until the 16th century that faith was always considered to be a verb, a place of action, an occurrence. But now the word faith has been reduced down to just a noun in modern dictionaries. What are you saying, Brother Thomas? I'm saying this, that if we're not careful, we can allow our faith to slip out of the realm of action and expression and slip into a dormant existence that never affects eternity. That's why the writer of Hebrews in 11.2 says that by faith, the elders obtained a good report. They subdued kingdoms and they obtained the promises of the Lord. How did they do that? He said this. He said by offering, by preparing, by receiving, by blessing, by worshiping. In other words, they acted on and expressed their faith. They put their faith into action and God acted on their behalf. So this morning, if I leave my seeds of faith in the bag, I'll never know what could have happened because faith that lies stationary will never reach its full potential. But when I grab those seeds of faith and I sow them into the kingdom of God, that's when subtraction happens. How does that happen? That anywhere else in the world or in any other avenues of life, subtraction before multiplication just doesn't make sense. But you see a pattern in Scripture. Every time before God multiplies, He always subtracts first. Just ask Job. Just ask the young lad that day with his lunch. But somehow in the process, Brother Justin, of us releasing and subtracting things to God, somehow there's a multiplication that begins to happen. And God can take our efforts, and God can take the seeds of faith that we express, and He brings a multiplication, and He compounds it to feed the masses. Can I tell you that what we do in the next few moments in this service, yes, it will bless you, it will bless your family, and it will bless this church. But God also wants to open up the windows and doors of this church so that that multiplication can take place outside of this church, where you can begin to impact this community and this city like never before where you can be a strength to the church down the street, down the road and the global missionary across the world why? because God always multiplies after he subtracts what a beautiful picture of faith rowing out in open waters and casting seed See, that old farmer knew something that most people didn't. He understood the law of sowing and reaping during a flood. That even though it stretched that farmer to sow his seed into something that he could not see any clear benefit from, he knew that if he would go ahead and sow those seeds on top of the flood water, that when the flood waters receded and that seed came in contact with the moist, prepared soil, that suddenly something would begin to happen. And after the flood, and after that season was over, he would be standing in a great harvest. 
but it was all dependent on what he did in the middle of a flood. For his friends who waited on the porch for everything to be perfect. For his friends that held back their seeds of faith and held back what they had. When harvest time came, they didn't really have much to show. But here's this farmer who went out and he said, over here I'll have my rice. And over here I'll have my grain. And over here I'll have this. I believe the Lord's going to meet my seeds of faith. And he began to scatter them. And when the flood waters receded, that later on, he was standing in the middle of a great harvest. That's the secret of how to farm a flood. So even when you can't immediately see the benefit, so even when it stretches your faith, whether or not you have a harvest, whether or not I have a harvest, depends on what I do on this side of the flood. You see, even though I may never see on this side of eternity all the faces of the people who will be baptized in Jesus' name, I still have to cast the seed even though I may never personally ride in that missionary's vehicle as he drives to that remote village, it's still my job to sow my resource into the kingdom. Even though I may not be, you and I may not be in that room when that mother and father hold that adopted child for the first time in the New Beginnings office, you and I can be a part of that by generously giving into the kingdom today. I may not be there when the church planner begins to pray with that person in the altar to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. But I can go there through my giving. I can go through there, go there through expressing my faith today. We must remember that sacrifice and sowing is what we do. That's my job. But the supernatural and miraculous is always what He does. If I'll do my part, God will do His part. If I express faith, God will express His ability. If I sow in faith, God will give me a miraculous harvest. Just come to remind us today that you and I are standing in the middle of a great harvest. It's just hard to see it sometimes because that flood water, brother, it blocks the fertile soil. And all I can see is the impossibility. But there is something that God wants to unlock in this house today. Because you just never know what potential may be sitting in the middle of a flooded overfield. And you'll never know until you get to that point where I will express my seeds of faith and see what God will do in the middle of a flood. Since the 1980s, a retired couple from Iowa by the name of Don and Lynette Hartman I had the privilege of meeting them a few years back when I went to Iowa to be a part of their youth camp. I actually stayed in their home. Don and Lynette Hartman, Brother Hartman, is in his 80s. They're a retired couple on fixed income. But every year, for over 30 years now, they have given sacrificially to the cause of Move the Mission. And is, is their tradition each year, they set out a plastic bucket in the middle of their home and as they walk by they just feed it change and dollar bills or whatever may be in their pocket sometimes it's just pocket lint but they always do this to help them with their move the mission pledge but one year on Labor Day weekend they experienced a tragic house fire they devastated their home took most of their belongings and they're going through their house they told me that they came to the place in their house where they knew that plastic bucket would be. Started digging around and they found it. There it was. 
coins. But because of the heat of the house fire, it melted the plastic around the coins. Just feeling kind of discouraged, devastated. Started peeling back the layers and pulling out the coins. Around this time, their pastor called them to check on them. And along the way, he let them know, listen, we want you to know the church is here to support you and help you. And you should feel no obligation whatsoever. Do not worry about your move the mission pledge. Don't even think another thing about it. Because in my mind, surely no one would fault them. They haven't heard from the homeowner's insurance yet, and so they didn't know what the future held. It made sense to save back any money you have. But their pastor was surprised when they responded, No, pastor, we will still give our Move the Mission pledge. And even though the Move the Mission coins were in a melted container, and they had to painstakingly clean each one before the local bank would receive their deposit, they did this. And they sowed it into the kingdom of God, even though they didn't know how it was all going to turn out. But it was after they did this and they came through on their move to the mission pledge. Shortly after that, their homeowner's insurance contacted them and let them know that not only would they replace the price of their home, but they now live in a home that is much larger and is much nicer. And God went above and He went beyond because they were decided, or they decided to sow and be faithful in spite of the flood. They decided to show their faith on this side of the opposition this side of the obstacle and when the flood waters receded they saw a miracle unfold recently there was a pastor who shared with me that he had a new convert who was born of the water and the spirit who had been coming to church for a little bit and they had to move the mission service earlier this year that new convert started hearing about the wonderful things that move the mission does and faith was ignited in him and he began to feel the urge to give a pledge but you see this new convert had a lot of student loans and he had tuition bills that he was trying to cover but nonetheless he felt to give to move the mission he wrote out the check and he gave it he gave it in his pledge but that same week he was contacted and informed that seventy thousand dollars of his student loans would be totally forgiven and that eleven thousand dollars of his future tuition would be fully covered by his place of employment. It would have been easier for this new convert, new in his faith, to hold back the seeds of faith. But he gave anyway, and the Lord came through. Another lady who was sitting in this very same service, she felt impressed to give. But it didn't make sense. Because she had just taken a different job and took a cut in pay wasn't really sure how all the ends were going to meet but she heard three words from God when he said just trust me just trust me sow your your faith sow your seeds so she wrote paid the pledge made the pledge and was trusting God and then later she learned that her new employer is now giving her more pay than she thought she would receive And her employer has already decided to give her a raise. That's the power of expressing and sowing faith in the middle of a flood. I've come to tell you that you're in the middle of a great harvest. 
Don't let obstacles and opposition, and you never have. But don't let anything keep you from exercising your faith this morning. Yeah, we're talking about giving our resources, our financial resources. But let me just tell you too, if you're in this house and you've been seeking salvation, you've been seeking a healing, you've been seeking God to intervene in your marriage or your family, in a moment when you begin to sow those seeds of faith, I believe the Lord is going to meet you right where your faith begins. So sow your faith in the face of doubt. Express your faith in the middle of an impossibility. Scatter your seeds of faith in preparation for the harvest. Because with God, all things are possible. And you never know what potential might be just beneath the surface of the flood.